The first book in the Bible is Genesis. Genesis is the book of beginnings. God provides us with an account of faith on how everything came into existence. Genesis is the startup book. Revelation is the last book. It is the book of consummation. It is the unveiling of how this present sinful age is going to end as God ushers in a final age where all things are made new and holy without any sin. And the resurrected Christ in the new age reigns with full glory. I invite you to open your Bible with me to the book of Revelation as we begin a new short series of message on Jesus' messages to the seven churches of Revelation. Each of the seven churches were real first century churches. Each of these seven churches that we're going to see are scattered throughout Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. I think we have a map um, that I uh, wanted to just kind of let you see, so you guys keep that up there for a moment. As Christianity spread, these seven churches are some of the most major ones in the first century. Each of these seven churches are named after the cities where they are located. And all seven are described in Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3, known as the seven churches of the apocalypse or the seven churches of Asia Minor. And as we begin, I want to address the relevance of Jesus delivers a message to each one of these churches a couple thousand years ago. So what is the relevance of these messages to us? Or so what? What do the words of Jesus to seven churches 2,000 years ago, what does any of that have to do with me? Why should I care about seven churches that are long gone? They all weakened, they all died, no longer are in existence. I want to share with you three things. First, these messages reveal to us more than anything else truths and insights about God. That should matter to us. Truths and insights about God. Keep that, keep that map up there just for a few moments. Uh, which, if you think about the, the first objective, the first goal of all Bible study is what? What's the first goal of every Bible study, whether you do it privately or in a Sunday school? The first objective, the first goal is, what does this reveal to me about God? Not just about me and what I'm going through or my family or my situation. What does this reveal about God? Second, these messages have application to us as a church family. If you're a member of Hillcrest, then these insights that Jesus delivers to these seven churches are, are the same struggles, the same deceptions and errors they struggled with then continue to be some of the same we struggle with today. In other words, what happened to them can also happen to us. And I would add, as I mentioned earlier, none of these seven churches remain today. They all died. Healthy churches, 
Healthy churches thrive and weak churches are prone to sickness and death. By the way, just added 2019, prior to COVID, LifeWay, a research arm of our convention, conducted research involving 34 of the largest Protestant denominations in the United States. And during 2019 alone, 4,500 churches closed their doors of just those 34 Protestant denominations. That's almost 400 a month. And if you divided those 400 up among the 50 states, that's on average 80 churches per state. And there's a lot of churches like Idaho and some of those other places that had very few. So you just think about, and that's a trend per year. So you just think about Mississippi, the state here, if on average we're closing 100 churches a year, which is happening. Think about around New Albany, how many little churches there are today that have 10, 15, 20 people. They're all white hair or no hair, and they're just hanging on by a thread. And so there is value for us to learn from these seven churches. And third, these seven literal churches also represent seven types of Christians. Seven types of individual Christians. Think about this. Uh, a loveless church, Ephesus there, number one. Do you think Christians can lose their first love? Um, Smyrna, Christians being persecuted. Pergamum, Christians who compromise today the word of God uh, or about uh, corruption, Thyatira, uh, Sardis, just some dead, dead Christians. They're just dead, spiritually dead. Philadelphia, some are faithful, and then how many of God's people are lukewarm? And Jesus says, I would rather you be hot, I'd rather you be cold, but if you're lukewarm, I will spew you out of my mouth. And so the aim as we go through these is to know more about God, more about the Lord Jesus Christ. Things for us to consider as a church family, to be healthy as God's people. And third, characteristics consider about our personal walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. This morning I want to speak on the subject, Introductions Matter. And so before we, and what, I, what's, what really happened to me, I thought that I was going to start in Revelation chapter 2 with first the church of Ephesus. And then, as you know, you start doing Bible study, you start doing the, the pre-work. And as I got into the introductory material, um, I was thought, I can't start yet. So instead of starting in the first church in Revelation 2, I'm just going to kind of lay the groundwork from chapter 1. And so as we I speak on the subject of introductions matter. If we don't get this background right, we're not going to understand the messages that Jesus delivers to these churches. So before we get into the actual text, let's read starting in Revelation chapter 1, starting at the first verse. And I, and I really say this sincerely. I hope that you bring your Bible I hope today that even after we read the text, you'll keep your Bible open. Everything I'm going to say is going to flow right through this text. And so with your Bibles open, let's read together. 
Revelation 1, starting at verse 1. The revelation, the message of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant, John. John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ to all things that he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who read, those who hear, and who keep those things which are written in it for the time is near. John to the seven churches which are in Asia. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler over the kings of the earth. To him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him and they who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. And what you see, John, write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, Theatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. And I, John, turned to see the voice that spoke with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. In the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet, and girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun, shining in its strength. And I, John, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. 
But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid, John. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. Write the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after this. The mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. And the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. May God bless the reading of his word. Pray with me. Father, as we go through these messages, we ask that you would guide us to understand more about you, to know you, speak to us and teach us by your spirit. And lead us to obey whatever you reveal to us, bringing about the joy that comes from obedience. And we make these requests in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I want to encourage you to keep your Bible open with me as we work through this text, but just basic Bible study, who wrote this? First, who wrote this? Well, the writer is the Apostle John, one of The original 12 disciples, John was a blue-collar guy, a tradesman known as one of the sons of thunder, which certainly is a reference to his temper. John is a no-nonsense kind of guy, a man's man. And when Jesus calls John, he leaves everything and eventually becomes one of his closest friends, for it was Peter and James, and John, who formed his inner circle. I think it's interesting, John, who writes this, also refers to himself as the one whom Jesus loved. Maybe a little bias there. Whenever Jesus calls John, he leaves everything. In addition to writing Revelation, we also know that he wrote his own gospel. He also wrote 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. So all of that together, the gospel of John, Revelation, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, that's a pretty good, pretty good chunk of the New Testament. John's example is inspiring. Here he is, a common man, a hard worker called by Jesus, and his life has changed. I love John, the first 1 John, in that small epistle in chapter 1, John provides his own testimony in those early verses. He said, I heard Jesus with my own ears. I saw Jesus with my own eyes. I touched him. I handled him with my own hands. Jesus revealed himself to me, and I followed him and surrendered my life to him, and I came to know him and love him, and he changed me. And now John says, I'm declaring to him, I'm declaring him also unto you because I want you to know him like I do, and I want you to have fellowship with us, and I want your joy to be full, a joy that comes through obedience, knowing the Lord Jesus Christ and keeping his commands, there's a joy in that. And most of the times when we obey the Lord, it's... Most of the commands, they're they're not too hard. 
We can obey most of, the can, most of his commandments, but sometimes some of them are tough where obedience requires a sacrifice, where God calls us to do something incredibly hard, but even in those times where it's difficult to be obedient to Jesus, there's still a joy in it. A joy, that's what he's saying. I'm, I'm writing to you that you might know him. I'm writing to you that have, you might have fellowship with us and that your joy might be full. We sing about that. There's a joy unspeakable and full of glory, full of glory, full of glory. There's a joy unspeakable and full of glory. Oh, the half that's never yet been told. Knowing Jesus living for him, obeying him, there's a joy in it. Many years after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, John is remaining faithful through his entire life, even unto death. He's preaching the gospel. He's witnessing with zeal. He is a faithful ambassador for Christ, even into his 90s. And at the end of his life, during these older years in which this is written, they weren't golden years for John. They weren't comfortable retirement years for John. At the end of the first century, when this is written, Domitian is the emperor of Rome. Things have gotten pretty tough on Christians. They are being persecuted because they refuse to bow and offer sacrifices to Caesar. They won't do that. They renounce all Greek gods, the pantheon of all of those little gods. They will not bow to any idols. They begin to teach something radical that all men are created equal, even slaves and masters. There's no difference between them before God, which threatened the Roman aristocracy. They became viewed as anti-government, and their numbers begin to swell as the gospel spread. They were viewed with suspicion and fear that one day they are going to rebel against us. And since they don't worship Roman gods, the Romans feared that because they didn't do that, it was going to cause the, the gods to become angry with them. And so the solution was, let's get rid of them. And they began to persecute them, and they crucified them upside down, and they fed them to lions and tortured them. That was the common expectation if you were a Christian in the first century persecuted, even extending to Asia Minor. John is preaching, ministering the word in Ephesus, preaching and teaching and planting churches. And there in Ephesus, he is arrested. And the Bible says in this text that we read in verse 9 that he was arrested and he was sentenced to be banished to a little remote island off of the coast of Miletus. It was a place where all criminals were sent. It was kind of like a, a prison surrounded by water, no way off. And so murderers and thieves and Christians were all sent to Patmos and he was exiled there and he says, I was going through tribulation even for the testimony of Jesus Christ. And so I want you to, as we read through this, think about, think of the bigger picture. Jesus has been gone 50, 60 years. The temple in Jerusalem has been destroyed. Christians are fleeing for their literal lives. 
They've lost their incomes. They've left families. They've left their homes. All of the other apostles are dead and gone. And now John is arrested and exiled, and they are experiencing persecution. And so the question is, how do you think they were holding up? <coughs> Not so well. Many of them beginning to experience doubt, despair, struggling, discouraged, perhaps feeling defeated, perhaps many of them throwing in the towel. Is this Jesus really real? Is this really worth it that we maintain our faith in him? And so in a time of great discouragement and persecution, God intervenes. And he provides this revelation to the apostle John, a, a fresh word from the Lord for his people to persevere and to remain faithful. John's the writer. This is all observational. And then second, notice, me, notice with me how God's message is given and dispensed. There is a progression to it. The progression has a general description for us, but also a detailed description on how God did this. First, the general description. If you have your Bible, look at verse 1 and 2. This is how God revealed this message. And I want you to notice who is mentioned. The message, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to him to show his servants things which would shortly take place, and he sent and signified by his angel to his servant John. So there is a progression. Do you see it? The revelation begins with God. God gives a word to Jesus, the Son. Jesus sent and signified it to an angel. An angel sent it to John, and John delivers and writes it to other servants. And finally, this has all been preserved and provided for you and me. Isn't that a wonderful progression? God the Father gives it to Jesus the Son. Jesus the Son gives it to the angel. The angel delivers this to John. John delivers it delivers it to the churches, and God preserves it for us. It's a great general description of this progression. And then there is a more detailed description of how that actually occurs in verses 9 through 11. And I, John, your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, this is how it happens more specifically, was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Christ. And I was in, in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet. And this is what he heard. He heard Jesus. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. And John, what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches. The Holy Spirit commands him, write what you hear. John says, I was a fellow brother, a companion going through tribulation and suffering, banished to this island as a criminal sentenced to die there. And his crime, what was his crime? Well, his faithfulness to the word of God and to the testimony of Christ. Banished as a criminal, but God on the Lord's day, I was in the spirit. The Holy Spirit was leading me behind me, this loud voice, as if a the voice, the sound of it was like a trumpet. Realized it was the Lord Jesus. 
Look with me earlier in verse 5 and 6. He describes Jesus there. Verses 5 and 6, he says, the faithful witness, the faithful witness of God, the full revelation of God, Jesus Christ, one who cannot lie, one whose words are truth, and the firstborn from the dead, Jesus Christ sentenced to death on a cross, buried, raised from the dead, firstborn, the ruler over all the kings of the earth, emperors even like Domitian, the one who loved us, who loves us still, the one who washed us from our sins in his blood, sacrificed his life for us on the cross, the one who has given us a new position with God as kings and priests. To the Lord Jesus Christ, be all dominion and all glory forever and ever. John said, that's the voice, that's the one I heard, the living Christ, and he reminded me. He reminded me, look at this, four times. Look at verse four, reminded me. Verse four, who is Jesus? Grace and peace to you from him. Jesus, who is and who was and who is to come. Look at verse eight. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who was, who is and who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. Look at verse 11. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. And then also in verses 17 and 18. When John saw him, he fell at his feet as dead, but he laid his right hand on him, saying, Do not be afraid, John. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. That's who I am. Fully God, fully man, who was, who is, and is to come, who always will be. The one who rules, the one who reigns. That's the one who is speaking to you, John. And so in verse 11, I want you to write everything that you see, write everything you hear, and send it to my churches. My churches are struggling. My churches are having a tough time. They need this word, John. And so in verse 19, John provides a complete overview of Revelation. If you want to mark this in your Bible, if you want to understand the book of Revelation, verse 19 is the key. Three tenses in verse 19. John write the things which you have seen, which is what he's writing about now. He's seen the, the living, reigning Christ. And then write the things which are so he writes to the churches in Revelation 2 and 3, chapters 2 and 3, and then John writes the things that will take place after this. And so Revelation chapter 4 through the rest of the book is all about everything that's going to happen at the end of the age. There you have an outline of the book of Revelation. Past, present, future. The risen Christ is reigning. The churches are going through tribulation. Give them this message. And in chapter 4 through the rest, this is what's going to happen. 
And in, in chapter 4 and 5 is amazing. God's seated on his throne. He's holding a scroll in his right hand. And the Bible says no one is able to open the scroll. And John, when he saw that no one was able to take the scroll from God's right hand, he wept. And then one, one like the lamb of the tribe of Judah comes, the Lord Jesus Christ, and takes the scroll from the Father's hand. You know what that scroll is? It's the blueprint for the new age. Jesus takes that scroll from the Father's hand and he begins to open those seals and begins to understand everything that's going to come. It's a wonderful picture. And so there's a progression to how this message is given to dispense and then to encourage everyone. I want you to see this promise. Look at verse three. Wonderful promise for us today. Blessed is he or she, whoever it is, who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and those who keep those things which are written in it. For the time is near. It's the only promise like this in any book of the Bible. Everyone who reads the book of Revelation, who reads it, who hears it, and keeps its words... The Bible says there is a blessing. Look at the, look how the book of Revelation ends. Go with me to chapter 22, verse 7. It's the end of the book. The same promise. Jesus says, Behold, John, I am coming quickly. But blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. This is how it's all going to end. Time is near. What is that referring to? Well, it's referring to verse 7 back in the first chapter. Behold, the time is near. Look at verse 7. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, and they who pierced him, and all the tribes, the pantata ethne, nations, tribes of the earth, will mourn because of him. He's going to come again. Just as he came in his first advent, there will be a second advent. Jesus will come again. In the New Testament, his second coming, that second advent is referred to as our blessed hope. If you remember in Acts chapter 1, after Jesus had died, crucified, buried, and when he was raised, you remember, he appeared to his church. He appeared to his disciples for 40 days to encourage them. And then in Acts chapter 1, starting at verse 9, it says, And when he had spoken these things, Jesus, while the disciples watched, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while the disciples were looking steadfastly towards heaven, as Jesus went up, behold, two men stood by them, angels in white apparel, and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. The time is near. Verse 7 says, when he shall come again. And so, 
when you and I as followers of Christ are hurting, when that happens, not if. If you live long enough, you're going to hurt in this life. Jesus says there's going to be rain that falls on all of us, the just and the unjust. There's going to be some trials and some suffering, some pain and some loss that we go through. And when those times come, we need something to hold on to. And you'll discover the only thing that really sustains is God in his word. I heard Jen Wilkins say recently, if you want to hear God speak to you right now, read his word. If you want to hear God speak audibly to you, read it out loud. Some of you are a little slow. <laughs> By the way, those women, all women of all ages in the church can start that study next Sunday night with the women here, and I encourage you to do it. How to study the Bible, how to, how to feed yourself from the Word of God. In the remaining moments, I want to close with what John saw. This is past tense from verses 9 through 20. And this is, the, this is the vision that those Christians, those churches needed to hold on to during their suffering. And so I want to close with a vision of the risen Christ. That's what, that's what is revealed to John during this difficult time of his life. After hearing the verse, verse 12 says he turns and sees, and he sees Christ among the lampstands. During that day, small oil lamps were lit, and they were set up on tall lampstands in a room. Those lampstands held the lamp up so that the light could illumine the room. If you have your Bible open, look at verse 20 because there's a definition. God gives us a definition of what the lamp... He saw the risen Christ among the lampstands. What are the lampstands? Verse 20, they're defined for us. The lampstands are the seven churches that we're going to examine starting next week. Real churches. And like lampstands, churches, we like them, are to function as light. Jesus said, I am the light of the world, and you and I as followers of Christ are to make that light known, to make Jesus known to other people. Remember, we are to be salt, and we are to be light. We are to be lampstands. You remember the song we used to sing about if you grew up in church? This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Hide it under a... What? A bushel, oh no, I'm going to let it shine. I don't know, won't let Satan puff it out. I'm going to let it shine. He's the light of the world. I am the light of the world. And you and I are lampstands. Hillcrest is a lampstand. We are a lampstand for the community of New Albany, for the state of Mississippi. We are to be a lampstand illuminating light to the nations. That's our call. Lampstands. Jesus is among his churches, and as we serve him and do his work, he is always with us. You remember Matthew 28, the Great Commission? Go as you go, make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach them everything that I've commanded you. 
And Lord, I promise, I promise I'll be with you always, even to the end of this age, with us, indwelling us by the Holy Spirit, empowering us to make him known. And then in verse 13, John sees Jesus, this risen Christ, living Christ, seated on the throne with a garment, a long robe, and he's girded about the midsection with a sash. It was the picture of a priestly garment. He being the great high priest, the one who is able to save, offering a perfect sacrifice for all of us in himself, ever living to make intercession for us. What a great priest we have. Verse 14 and 15, his head and his hair are described white. And I saw him on the throne and the Son of Man, the Lord Jesus Christ in his glory, his head and his hair were white as white as snow, as white as wool. Go back to the book of Daniel. Daniel describes this Messiah, this Christ, the exact same way, and he referred to him as the Ancient of Days. We sing that. Blessing and honor, glory and power be unto the Ancient of Days from every nation. Be glory unto the Ancient of Days. His eyes like flames of fire, conveying that he sees with clarity everything. He knows everything about Hillcrest Church. He knows every member of this church, every situation, whether we're compromised, whether we're lukewarm, whether we've lost our first love. He knows everything about every member of this congregation. He sees it all. Verse 15 feet burnished. Glowing bronze reference, and he's the king, high exalted, and we are subject to his feet, to his authority. That means when he speaks, he speaks with all authority over your life and mine. Verse 16, holding in his hands the seven stars. Verse 20 defines the stars. What are the seven stars? He says the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. And those stars are in his right hand with full control. He controls the stars, these angels of the churches. You say, well, who is that? Well, look, look with me in chapter 2 and 3. To every church, you see it? Starting in chapter 2, verse 1. To the angel of the church of Ephesus, verse 8. To the angel of the church in Smyrna. Verse 12, to the angel of the church in Pergamos, verse 18, to the angel of the church in Theotira, chapter 3, 1, and to the angel of the church in Sardis, verse 7, to the angel of the church of Philadelphia, verse 14, to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans. These angels are referred to as stars in his right hand that he has control of. And so the question is, who is the angel? Who is the angel to each one of these churches? And there's varying opinions by who you read as Bible scholars. The word angel, angeloi or angelos, messenger. is what the word angel means. Angels, what do angels do? Well, most often in the Bible, angels are carrying messages, delivering his word in his right hand under his protection, under his control, are the angels of each church. And I would say to this to you, and I kind of like this, 
It sounds a little self-serving, but it's what the Bible says. All scholars almost all agree that angels of the, each individual church is to the elder, to the pastor. Those who are apt to teach, those who labor in the word, who lead each church by the word of the Lord. And I just, I got to tell you, I, when I read this this week, it's kind of refreshing. <laughs> uh, being compared to something nice occasionally instead of how the world portrays preachers and elders of churches. Verse 16, John sees coming out of Jesus' mouth this two-edged sword. Hebrews 4, you remember? The word of God is alive, it's living, it's active, it's powerful. What does the word of God do? He says, it pierces and divides. Pierces even to the division of joint and marrow of soul and spirit. Discerns, it's a discerner of the thoughts and the intentions of every one of us. The word of God discerns. And I would say, for all of us as members of Hillcrest Church, and we all have a responsibility in this to some degree, whoever stands in this pulpit right now and whoever will stand in this pulpit in the future, they better know God's word. After I'm long and gone, whoever is in this pulpit better know the scriptures. They better strive by God's grace to live by the scriptures, to study the scripture, to preach the word, to lead from it, and to love and shepherd by it. And there's a lot of things that are important in the life of the church, but I, I'm saying this to you. It's bigger than me. The most important role in this church is to be governed by the word of God. It's the key to health lead the church, to shepherd the church, to guide the church, to pray over it. All of it is governed by God's word. And the last thing that John saw was the Shekinah glory of the living Christ. His face was shining like the brilliance of the sun. And after hearing all of this and seeing all of this, John didn't jump up and start singing a praise song, did he? What does he do? Here's the application. When he understood the glory of the risen Christ, John was full of fear, and it says he fell before him like a dead man. Overcome with awe and reverence, real fear. You remember Isaiah in the year that King Uzziah died? I saw God sitting upon his throne, saw him in his glory, and what was his response? Woe is me. I'm a sinful man, unclean. I have unclean lips. Like Ezekiel, after visions of God in his glory, he fell on his face. Do you remember the apostle Paul saw on the road to Damascus and he saw this blinding light from glory and the Lord Jesus Christ speaks to him? What happens? John fell prostrate on the road. The writer to the Hebrews reminds us, see, and then we have such a great high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, who has passed through the heavens. Let's hold fast to our faith, to our confession. Romans, Hebrews 12 says, we are to serve God with reverence and fear, for our God is a consuming fire. Whenever we approach God through his word, we pray. 
We ask God to protect us from distractions. If you get along with God to read his word and pray, spiritual warfare will happen, and I guarantee you'll be distracted like nothing else you do in your life. You've been there? Start sitting down with the Bible, and I start thinking of everything under the sun and what I need to do and this and that and all. Just distractions. Same thing with prayer. We move from observation, we pray and invite the Holy Spirit to teach us and we begin to read God's word and we start to observe what do we see in the text, who wrote it, who did they write it to, what was going on, when was it written, what's the message of it, and move to interpretation, thinking about what it says, and finally to application. And again, there's always one main goal of all Bible study. The main goal is what does this reveal to us about God? And I want to propose to you this first chapter of the book of Revelation from beginning to end is very little about us, and it's all about Christ. What's the application? So we'll close. When you read that about the Lord Jesus Christ, he's coming again. He's in control and all that he's done for us. How does, how does this affect you? How should this affect you? Well, it reminds me that, it reminds me of the one who gave his life for me. It reminds me of the one I love. It reminds me of the one who loves me. It's Revelation, this text reminds me of the one we worship, the one we live for. The one who is with us, the one who is for us, the one who is praying, interceding for us. This is the one we serve. This is the one who is working through us, the one who calls us to trust him, the one that he's called us to make known. This is the one that I will stand before, that you will stand before on one day and answer to. This is the one who is eternal. This is the one who is full of glory. This is the one who alives, who knows everything about us, every hair on our head, every motive, every intention of the heart. This is the one who is in control, working through his word. This is the one who is faithful and powerful and coming again. What's the application? The application is if you don't know him, the application is to worship him, surrender your life to him. Hillcrest, this is a call, an invitation on a daily basis to crave his word, to know him, and to live under his rule and his authority in our lives. That's the application. Before we ever get into any messages to these churches, I invite you to bow and pray with me as Don, musicians, come. Father, I pray that your spirit would bear witness with each of us individually. God, we respond with worship. We humble ourselves afresh today. God, that we would repent of all sin. 
that we'd recommit ourselves to you to be worshipers for your glory. Father, I pray that we as a congregation, as a church family, would make much of you. We'd make much of the Lord Jesus Christ in our homes. Lord, that you would be exalted, that you would be revered and feared. So we leave each morning and go into the workplace that we would revere you and would be in awe of you and would be mindful of who you are. God, by your grace, that we would walk worthy of the calling with which we've received from you to be light, to influence others, to have an effect wherever we are, whoever we're with. And Father, we pray that you certainly would be exalted as we gather corporately as a congregation. God, help us to prepare, to prepare and prepare ourselves to come together with one another to exalt you, Lord Jesus, the risen reigning, ruling Christ, creator and sustainer and redeemer of all things, one worthy of glory and honor and power, one with dominion and all authority, Lord, that we would worship you and exalt you, Lord, in with full assurance of faith. You would be glorified through us. We pray this in Jesus' name. As we stand together, if God's speaking to you and you need to come and you've never surrendered your life to Christ, this would be a day of day of salvation. And just for Hillcrest, this would just be a day to worship and to pray and to renew and recommit ourselves to the Lord of glory. However, God is speaking to us this morning, we pray.